life is the dress rehearsal for the biggest stage you're ever going to see because what you do in this life matters in the next life. This is All Things New with Pastor Barry E. Fields. And so the message this morning is geared towards you guys uh, from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, it's one of the best commencement speeches never given, and the reason is Solomon was the writer of it, the wisest man who ever lived. And I think there's some principles in here that I, I would love for, for you to hear, but I think it also has application for everyone in this room. And uh, regardless of your stage in life, understand that it is never, ever too late to start serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So turn, if you would, to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, and beginning in verse 1, we're going to read down through verse 20. For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven. Time to be born, time to die, time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill, and a time to heal. Time to break down, and a time to build up. A time to weep, and a time to laugh. A time to mourn, and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. Time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to seek and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love, a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. What gain has the worker from his toil? I have seen the business that God has given the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is already has been, that which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. The place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see themselves as but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beast, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. James McDonald tells the story of the 2000 Olympic Games held in Sydney, Australia. If you remember the bridge in Sydney Harbor, the key word throughout the Olympics was an unusual word for an Olympic Games. It simply said, eternity. And the reason the theme was picked for that was because of the history that had taken place in the country years and, and years before. There lived a guy down on his luck, drunk for the vast majority of his life, who walked into a church service and heard a message on the subject of eternity. 
And he became a believer as a result of that. And he couldn't get it out of his mind. So he, he took a piece of chalk, and his message, method for evangelism was to write the word eternity wherever he could. He wrote it on a, on a sidewalk. He wrote it on street corners. He wrote it on walls and alleys. And it is estimated that during his life, he wrote the word eternity half a million times. They called this guy Mr. Eternity. And eternity is written simply on his grave. 3,000 years beforehand, Solomon knew something about that. He has made everything beautiful in its time, and he has put eternity into man's heart. You were created with a longing for eternity. And until you understand that, nothing else in life will ever really make sense. You've been endowed with a desire for transcendence. That's why the athlete runs. It's why the scholar studies. It's why the entertainer sings that we might know glory. The Greeks knew of glory. So did the Romans. Alexander the Great and the cities that were built. People who conquered empires only to lose them all again. Seeking after glory. But the glory that Solomon talks about here isn't a glory primarily driven toward self. It is the glory that only comes from and belongs to God. And every person in this room has been created to give him glory. What makes us different from the rest of the world, not better but different, is that we believe there's more to this world than meets the eye. We believe that the supernatural will always trump the natural. And within this passage, Solomon, as an older man, is encouraging younger men, younger women, to live with godly wisdom. Because life apart from God is vanity. And the writer of Ecclesiastes knew this truth well. Solomon knew how to live it up. He was on one end of the spectrum, the wisest man who ever lived, and yet his lifestyle did not always lead him to make wise decisions. And so at the end of his life, Solomon wrote, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And when he started out in his kingship, he didn't ask for wealth or long life, but for understanding and the ability to discern good from evil. He tells us that there's more gain in wisdom than in folly. There's more worth in light than in darkness. But even in wisdom and in light, I still find that I have to die, and therefore everything is vanity. A striving after wind, he calls it. T.S. Eliot, the well-known British poet, said, There is only the fight to recover what has been lost and found and lost again and again. It's Adam and Eve in paradise walking with God. When they disobeyed rather than walking with him, they ran from him. And we've been running from him ever since. That's the whole human condition, trying to find something, meaning in something or someone other than God. He's told us to taste and see that the Lord is good, and yet we're eating from the world's junk food. And so Solomon will go on to say later in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifices of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools." 
Pay what you bow. It is better that you should not bow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity. But God is the one you must fear. Graduates, I hope you have many dreams in life that you want to accomplish. I don't, I don't care what, what your dream is, to build a, a big company, have a big family, anything that might be worthwhile. If your life is not grounded in God, first and foremost, all of those things become meaningless. So what most people try to do is they try to make fulfillment outside of God's will. Solomon keeps describing this as a striving after win. And here's the truth. You can either use the patterns that God has set in his created order and try to go against those patterns and you're sailing against the wind. You're, you're pushing against the tide. Or you can use them to your advantage. And you can say God has created the earth in a certain way and if I will fear and obey him, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And so before I seek marriage or my career or some life achievement, I better make sure that my soul is grounded in the Word of God. Better a poor man whose soul is fed than a rich man who is starving spiritually. And so he tells us to live with godly wisdom. Then he tells us something else within this passage. He tells us to live in the fleeting moment. And it's interesting, Solomon draws out this contrast. He tells us, look, keep an eternal perspective, but you've got to live one day at a time. It's the way the old song goes. Life is so daily, and you think about how much of your life can change on any given day. Good news, bad news, in-between news. Your mood can change, your circumstances can change, and as the clock cycles through the passing hours of the day, how you felt in the morning and how you felt in the afternoon may not be anywhere near what you feel in the evening. James says it well. Your life is as a vapor. It appears for a little time, and then it vanishes away. Isaiah tells us that the grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. And I would just encourage not just our graduates, but everyone in this room, including myself, hear this if you hear nothing else. To live in the moment is to be present where you are. To wherever your conversation or your voice is, be all the way there. And the only way you can do that is if you put this down. Be present where you are. To be all the way there, he tells us. He says, look, a generation is going to come and a generation is going to go and the younger generation will complain about the older generation. Why won't they let us do things? And the older generation will complain about the younger generation. And so the older generation says, why won't the younger generation work? And the younger generation says, thanks for all the problems you've given us. What happened to the economy? And we end up just having these generational wars back and forth. And all of us pass away. In living in the moment, he talks about this toil that God has given us. This culture sees work as a bad thing. Try to escape from work as much as you can. Try to be able to retire early so you can do what you really want. But the Bible says that you are actually to enjoy your toil. And so find something you enjoy doing and, and work at it. There's much gain in that. 
he tells us. I remember sitting in Waffle House with my pastor one night, it's been about 10 years ago, and out of the blue, he took out a napkin and a pen, and he said, I want you to write down characteristics of what makes a person usable in the kingdom of God. So I began to write down the basic things, you know, the things that you learn in church. If you write Jesus, God, or Moses, you've got a 50% shot at anything. Read your Bible, pray, you know, give, in, give to the offering. I start writing down all these different things, and he looks at me, and he says, all these are good, but you're missing something. He said, what's that? And he wrote down the word dependability. To be dependable. As we live in a society where your word is no longer your bond, if you tell somebody you're going to do something, do it. And be on time. I, I tell you what, nine-tenths of, of what I see with somebody, whether or not they're reliable or not, is whether or not they say what they're going to do, and then they do it. And if you'll do that, young people, you'll be far ahead of most people. He says, daily live with dependence upon Christ, because when you're younger, you tend to think you don't need God, because you're young and full of life, but then when you're older, you find out you need Him more than you ever thought possible, so much more than yesterday, one song goes, reminded of what C.T. Studd said, "'Tis one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last." That's why Jesus says, don't worry about your bank account, but lay it for yourselves treasures in heaven, because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Last year, I had the privilege of going to London and seeing Shakespeare's reenacted Globe Theater. There are some seats in that theater, but you've got to pay a pretty good amount of money to sit in them. And so what most people do is they just stand. There's a big open pit in front of the stage, and so you stand and watch the play. And I was fortunate enough to get there early enough to where I could kind of lean against the railing. So these actors are coming in, almost stepping on your toes. You feel like you're right on top of the action. But they do it to where it is live, but they have practiced so many times that there's hardly any, any, any effort at, at, at what they're doing. That is, they don't, they don't have to think, what are my lines again? Somebody give me a cue. It, it's just beautiful to see. I remember reading in college in the history department in Western, Western Kentucky, somebody had a quote that said, life is not a dress rehearsal. By meaning live this life now. I, I disagree with that based on scripture. I think life is the Dress rehearsal for the biggest stage you're ever going to see because what you do in this life matters in the next life. Everything that you do. And God says these secret things of the heart will one day be revealed. You think I've just got to do the big things well. God says what I'm really looking after is someone who does the little things and does them when no one else is watching and does them well. And he tells us when that curtain of life falls... And the judge of eternity begins to review your performance from every aspect of life. Will you be ready? So he reminds us, teach us to number our days. Well, he says, live with godly wisdom. He says, live in the fleeting moment. But then he tells us to live for eternal Glory reminds you of what he says earlier. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has already been in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. 
So everything that's done has already been done. Everything that you will do has been done before. That's a really encouraging commencement address, isn't it? He tells us it's a striving after wind. It's like Charlie Brown building that sandcastle on the beach, finally getting it all set up, only to have the waves come and toss to smithereens. That's your life. And if you base your life solely on what you build for yourself, it's sinking sand. On a certain level, I want you to think about this. I hope you guys accomplish impossible things. I think you're capable of it. But even if you accomplish the seemingly impossible, much of what we try to be remembered for ends up being forgotten. And on top of that, people are trying to do greater things than they've ever done before. We're trying to figure out ways how we can live longer and live better. And some people say we could even stop death one day. Good luck. I think about these old houses that I see driving on the road all the time. You know, the ones that are broken down, dilapidated. They were once full of life. Families were there. Time goes on, they pass away. And if we're not careful, if we're not vigilant, if we don't keep eternity in mind, all we may end up doing is making the world a better place to go to hell from. You don't want to do that. And can I say something specifically to graduates right now? If statistics bear out across this country, most of the graduates who leave our churches drop out of church. It's a nationwide phenomenon. So if the statistics bear out, most of you won't be in church a year from now. And I say that to you not to dishearten you, but to challenge you. Be the generation that's different. This is an opportunity for you to where your faith becomes real for you. It's not just your parents' faith anymore. Some of you are going to go off to college. Some of you are going to be doing work and different things. And you're going to have an opportunity now to do things for your own, to do things with God. And the only one who may know it is you and the Lord. And so he says, seize that opportunity. That's why he says, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. Paul says to Timothy, don't let anyone look down on your youth, but you be an example to the believers in word and in conversation and spirit, in love and charity and purity. Much of God's greatest work is accomplished through young people. Some estimate the disciples are actually teenagers when Jesus is teaching and training them. That's why they're so impulsive and always trying to kind of one-up one each other. They're young. But God uses them in a great way. Do we know of the absolute joy and satisfaction there is in saying, God, I'll do whatever you ask of me? See, you think that's enslaving, but it's actually the most freeing commitment you will ever make. Because you're doing what you were put on this earth to do. Reminded of Jim Elliott's journal, which he wrote at 28, just before he died. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. David Brainerd's mission to the Native Americans, dead of tuberculosis at 28. Because when you decide to use the gifts that God has given you to bring Him glory, it's what causes you to give everything you have to go to the ends of the earth and die hungry and in poverty because you believe that Jesus is worth it. And I don't know about you, but I want to invest in something that's going to last so he says teach us to number our days 
to live with godly wisdom, to live in the fleeting moment, and to live for eternal glory, knowing that there is a heavenly weight of glory, heavenly inheritance that you cannot lose. Teach us, he says, to number our days. Hey guys, thanks so much for listening to the broadcast. If you found it helpful, please consider sharing it with your family and friends. For more information, check us out online at barryefields.com.